Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Andrew Boyd. So, we're looking at the Beatitudes. If you've got a Bible with you, you might want to turn to Matthew 5. If you haven't, sooner or later, but it isn't necessary at the minute, it'll be up on screen. But I want to start with Matthew 4. Because this is the context for the Sermon on the Mount. Beatitudes means blessings, okay? Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who, can you say all? All who were ill. All who were ill. With various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralysed, and he healed them all. Can we say all again? He healed them all. Jesus, can you just imagine, okay, that you are Jesus' disciples? You've just been called. Now, there must have been something in that calling because his ministry had barely begun. But he looks you in the eye and says, Norton, I want you. Drop what you're doing, come and follow me. And you, and you do just, what is it that provoked Norton to drop what he was doing and follow him? But this is what they saw. Something fired up in their hearts, a hope fired up in their hearts about who this man was and the power and the authority with which he spoke and they followed him. And that's what they saw. Now put yourself in their positions. Whatever you had longed for in your hearts, suddenly was unfolding before you. People are being healed. People are being delivered. People are being set free. There's hope in the air. There's joy in the air. There's happiness in the air. There's excitement in the air. Something completely has changed and you are part of it. You are part of it. So what Jesus does next is he says, look, We're going to get away from these crowds because they're building and building as they would do. You'd expect that, right? We're going to get away from these crowds, just you and me. We're going to go up a mountain. And then Jesus did what they did. I mustn't walk too far away. Andrew, flap at me if I go too close to tables. (laughs) So he took them up a mountain. And what they did then was completely the opposite of what we do now. Whoever was teaching sits and whoever everybody else stands, okay? Bit strange. A bit strange. But anyway, that's what they did. So Jesus is up the top of this mountain and these these guys have just seen heaven poured out on earth in a way that makes them go, come on! Jesus says, I'm now going to tell you how to be my followers, what it's going to involve for you, okay? And your heart is really singing and you're looking forward to what he's got to say. And he begins in this brilliant way with this fantastic word, He says, blessed. Now, the trouble is we've made that word really religious. Okay. What he meant was, wow, how happy are you? That's what it means. How happy are you? It's yes, come on, wow. That's what the word blessed means. Okay. So today, how happy are you? Are you blessed? You're going to get more blessed. You want to be more blessed? You want to be more happy? Come on, you're going to be, all right? Because this is Jesus' message to his special followers. This was not for the crowds. This was for us, had we been there, 
Okay, so that's the context of this. And what unites these followers is that they have seen the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. And now Jesus is saying, okay, let me equip you in order to follow me. And I'm telling you, it's going to be good because it begins with a wow. How good is this? Come on. How blessed are you? Let's not think it means blessed. Okay, please. It's not. It's wow. Okay, so he, so you're already right. You're excited with what you've seen has blown your minds. And he started by telling you, how happy are you? And then he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not what you were expecting to hear. Because suddenly you feel like you've become incredibly rich in spirit. You've seen amazing things take place. But he defies expectations. He says, how happy, what a wonderful thing it is to be poor in spirit. And they must be going, what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, sometimes I think we expect Jesus to make it easy for us. But sometimes I think he says, let me just make this a little harder for you. Because he's provocative, right? He challenges right to the heart of us. So what this actually means, let's be clear what it means to be poor in spirit. They would have understood this word to mean blessed, happy, joyful, overflowing are those who are bent down and crouching. Those who consider themselves lower than others, those who are acutely aware of their need. Wow, how happy are you when you are crouched under the burden of your need? Really, Lord? Really? He's saying this to guys who really need to get this message and haven't at this stage got it because it won't be long before they're jostling each other as they walk, saying, I'm going to be at his right hand in heaven, you're not. And then, and then enlisting the mum to come in and say, could this one be greatest in heaven with you? Is that all right? What? We're talking about guys who, despite everything they've seen, at one point when they get offended by the fact that the people aren't listening to them, they say, God, call down fire on them! Hang on a minute. Don't you remember that I said to you, Blessed are those who crouch, who make themselves lower than, I mean, really happy. You want the joy of the kingdom? We're talking joy, not blessed, okay? We're talking joy. Blessed are you when you are reduced to begging. This is what it means when you are reduced to holding out your hand and say, I have nothing. Could you give me anything? Can you spare any change, Gov? Blessed, happy, joyful, radiant are you when you're reduced to that. When you are destitute, you have nothing. When you have no influence, everybody overlooks you, walks past you, regards you as a nuisance. 
You have no position. You have no honour when you are lowly, when you are afflicted, when you are helpless, when you cannot achieve anything you set out to do. Nothing at all. When you are powerless, then you are, come on, blessed. How is, you imagine? Now this is to you. Had you been there, you'd be sat there, stood there, thinking, what? Okay, this is to you. Now you know there's something real and authentic in this, but it's making you go, what is he talking about? This is, everything's gone upside down here. He's not talking primarily about physical poverty, although it can mean that. But he's talking about being lowly in spirit. And essentially what he's saying here is this, everything I'm telling you is blessed, is in opposition to pride. This is an attack on pride. This is an attack on what I know you're about to say a little bit down the line when you say, can I sit next to you in heaven? Who is the greatest? Forget it. You want to be blessed? You want to be rejoicing? You want to be overflowing? Then you come to the Lord in your position of need because only he can satisfy and he will. That's why you're blessed because he will. The more we see of God, the more we know we need. There's this rich man and he's on his deathbed. And he's really dismayed by everything people keep on telling him because he's really made it rich. And all of his friends, the real friends, say to him, you can't take it with you, you know. And he's going, but but I've spent my entire life working for this. So for the first time ever in his life, this really rich man gets down on his knees and he prays. He utters a fervent prayer about his wealth and to his amazement, he gets an immediate response. He hears the audible voice of God, a booming voice that fills the room and it says, you're right, that's generally not our policy. But in your case, we'll make an exception. So the rich man, he calls his broker He sells his shares, his yacht, his little island in the Caribbean, his Rolls Royce and his three mansions. And he tells the broker, put everything into gold blocks. Everything. I want everything in gold blocks. I want enough gold blocks to fill a sack that you can put in my coffin with me because I'm going to take it with me. I've been given permission. And he dies. Some of you know where this is going. He dies and he finds himself at the gates of heaven which incidentally are made out of a pearl, a colossal pearl, which speaks of the overcoming of suffering in order to enter heaven, but that's another message. He finds himself at the gates of heaven, standing before St. Peter. And Peter takes one look at this new arrival and he gets on the intercom to the boss. He says, there's a guy standing here with a sack full of gold bricks wanting to take them into heaven. So, says God, I told him he could. Whatever you say, boss, says Peter. What I can't figure out is why he'd want to come up here with a sack full of paving stones. Revelation tells us 
streets of heaven are paved with gold. Everything is being turned upside down. God's kingdom turns everything upside down. It takes the poor and the needy and it says you can place your feet on a pavement of gold. That's the stuff you can walk on. He turns everything, everything upside down. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. If we want God to lift us up, we need to crouch before him. We need to be poor in spirit and know our need of him. It's not about what we can achieve. It's not about our hopes and our ambitions and our dreams. It's about him at work in our lives. Next beatitude, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I just want to tell you a story which might help some folks. Some years back, my parents died, and they died very close to one another, within three weeks of each other. And that's quite often the way. One goes, the other one gets a broken heart and dies of that. Now, my my mum died first, and my dad died soon after, and I was abroad at the time. I'd said goodbye to Dad. I thought he was okay. My last memory of him is waving goodbye to him at the doorstep of his bungalow in Emsworth. And Dad said, yeah, go, go. It's only a two-week trip. It's fine. I'll be fine. But he had a fall, and he broke his neck, and he died very soon after all of that. And it was a bit of a shock. As you can imagine, I was on the phone. We'd finished this trip, and Sarah was on the phone, bless her. And she broke the news to me. And there was a guy with me, a lovely friend called Colin. And not that Colin, though he's a lovely friend. No. But he was a lovely guy. And he came and he just hugged me. He just held me and he hugged me. And he took the pain. Does that make any sense? He just... I just released something which he was able to take and he stood with me and helped me to stand in all of that. So that was when my dad died. When my mum died, people said to me, gosh, you need to give yourself time to grieve. And that's good advice, right? It's good advice. But something interesting happened and that is that I was there when she died, which was an amazing privilege to be there as the last breath passes from somebody and to know God's peace all over that room, which was, how can I describe that? I've never, never been with anybody who died before, never encountered that before, but God's presence was there. And in my grief, I love my mother dearly, I, every time I felt pain, I worshipped the Lord. I poured it out in worship. Do you know this is the best advice I could give anyone who's, who's, who's grieving? is to pour it out in worship to God when it hurts, right? It doesn't stop it hurting, 
but it just makes something of value from it. And it just means that you know his presence with you when you're going through it. And I knew his presence with me. I knew what it meant, if if this makes any sense, to be in tears and in pain and to be, yes, Lord, come on, happy. Does that make any sense? Not much, but, but that's what happened. And Paul says in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, he says this, I want to know Christ. Remember these Beatitudes, I know this isn't a Beatitude, this one, but they're to you guys. Jesus is saying, come on, let's, let's talk about how we're going to do this. Let's talk about how you can follow me. Let's talk about what's going to happen. And the good news is, whatever happens is going to be filled with joy because my presence will go with you. That's all you need. That's, that's how you overcome. My presence goes with you and gives you peace. It gives you rest. So Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Yeah, come on. But the next bit's the hard bit and participation in his sufferings. Or as some versions put it, the fellowship of his sufferings. Which is actually the version I prefer because I think it cuts two ways. That we stand with Jesus. When we stand with somebody else who's suffering, we're standing with Jesus who goes through it with them. Okay, he never leaves you alone. So we're actually participating in the sufferings of Christ when we stand with somebody else who's suffering. But the wonderful thing is that he participates with us when we suffer. How many of you have felt that? When you've had a really hard time, you've just felt his presence and his comfort. Yeah? It's just, it's just wonderful. And you can go through it. So for that reason... I understand something of what it means, what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn. Matthew 5.5 says, blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek. Come on, joyful are the meek. This word meek has been ruined by some Christian hymns. It doesn't mean to be a wimp. To be meek, the best analogy I can think of Imagine a beautiful white stallion. Fantastic, magnificent horse. Muscle, power, strength, something majestic about this animal. But it's wild. So the owner of this horse can't do anything with it other than admire it until the owner, and we have this terrible word, breaks the horse. Any, any horse riders here? There must be a better term for, a, for training a horse and breaking it. Anybody know? Let's, we're we're, we're going to dump the word break and we're going to put the word train in there because I just think it's better. Okay? Once the horse has been trained, once the horse has got used to the owner standing there, the sound of the owner, the determination of the owner to be able to ride this horse, you have to be very determined if you're going to train a horse, a wild horse. We've seen the films, right? Some of us might even have done it. But that magnificent stallion is only of any use to the owner once the owner can ride it. So for the owner to ride it, the the stallion has to trust that owner. 
learn to respond to their touch and their voice and their presence, that is meek. The stallion has been made meek. It's not been reduced to a wimp. It's still a magnificent stallion, but now it has use. So when Jesus calls his disciples and they're stood up and he's sat down on this mountain and he says, you are really happy when you are meek. That's what he says about you. Let me train you. Let me make you fit for purpose. When you are fit for purpose, then I can ride you. Then we can go out. Then we can go places. Then we can be together. Let him make you meek. Because then you come into your destiny and your calling and the gold within you comes out and all that God has called you to be, all that he sees in you, all that he lifts up from you, all that he raises you up to be happens, but you need to be made meek. And it takes a lifetime. But you are so happy when it happens. I'm just going to read you a quote from a commentary because I thought, I just thought it was really good. It's about meekness again. Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. Okay, we could protest. Why are you doing this, Lord? Why are you allowing that? Why am I going through this? But God is good all the time, right? And that's when faith rises when the times we're in don't appear to be good, but we declare the goodness of God over those things. So we accept his dealings as good and without disputing or resisting them. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Hear me right, I I really believe, and I work with a persecuted church, We do need to defend others against injustices. But the moment, and sometimes we need to defend ourselves, but let's be careful we don't get into an entitlement or an anger or a bitterness of spirit when we're defending ourselves against injustice. Anger is godly if it is turned to compassion and a fight for justice. It is godless when it becomes bitter and twisted. And that usually happens when you start to fight for yourself. Thus, meekness towards evil people means knowing that God is permitting the injuries they inflict. That he is using them to purify his elect. And that he will deliver his elect, those he's chosen, you, in good time. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trusting God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. Can you get a feel of what meekness looks like? And this is to guys who are about to jostle for position and say, can I sit at your right hand and could we call down fire on them? (laughs) So they're hearing his words, but they haven't quite got it all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Matthew 5, 6. 
What does that mean? We need food and water to live. If you don't have it for long enough, you will crave it. Being peckish for righteousness is not what he's talking about. Fancying a drink of water or a cup of coffee is not what he's talking about. He's talking about being thirsty. He's talking about being hungry. Has anybody here ever been really thirsty? Really thirsty? You have. You have. I, uh, I was doing a trip some years back in Sudan, in South Sudan. And it was the most extraordinary, uh, journal, I'm a journalist, it's the most extraordinary assignment. It was to buy slaves to re- return them to their families and prove the existence of the slave trade in Sudan. And in my stupidity, because I'd never done anything like this before, I didn't bring enough water with me. We had to walk 12 to 14 miles in about 45 degrees of heat, both ways, each way. And I realised that I was burning through all of my water within about half an hour. And then I just had to really eke out my water. And I got really dehydrated. My tongue... I, all you, you just start thinking about water. I mean, to begin with, I started thinking about Coca-Cola. That's not real thirst, okay? <laughs> real thirst comes when, blow the Coca-Cola, where's the water? And I had no, <laughs> no moisture at all in my mouth. My tongue was like a stone. That's thirst. Well, I knew it was going to be all right, but... Mm. Blessed. Yes, you are really, really happy. Come on, wow, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness means two things. I know you've heard me preach this before. I'll be quick. One is right standing before God, which can only come through Jesus. We can't earn our place in his presence ever or pay him back. It comes what Jesus has done when he says to you, come on, I love you. Stand with me. But righteousness means more than that. It means right walking. Right wiseness is the origin of the phrase. It's the way we walk our lives as Christians. Lord, what do I do today? What is the right thing to do? Both of these things look terrible. Which one do I? And I have to choose one which. Or both of them look great. Which? What do I do? Right wiseness. Jesus is the wisdom of God. When you hunger and thirst, when you've got to have it like food and drink, then you are, wow, blessed. So Jesus is saying to you on this mountain, you're going to face some really tough choices. It isn't going to be obvious. There's not going to be a proof text that you can pull out of the Bible. There's going to be nothing in your experience which has fitted you for this. You're going to have to make a choice and a call on something really difficult. You are blessed because the wisdom of God is with you, but it's walked out. You put one foot in front of the other and it's walked out in our lives. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So these guys that want to call down fire from heaven because a few people didn't like what they had to say. Got to learn this lesson. 
And Jesus is really clear, and this is, this is one of those occasions when he says, let me make this more difficult for you. Luke 6, 37 to 38 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. The implication of that is if you do judge, you will. Okay, that's the implication. Do not condemn, that's write people off, and you won't be condemned. This is written to believers, not unbelievers, okay? Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. I'm reading on here because we often talk about this in terms of finances. This is, it's a true thing about finances, but it comes from mercy. Give mercy, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. You won't be able to contain it, Colin. The mercy you give, he just whoosh, throws it back at you. Yeah, you're happy because you've known his mercy in your life as you give mercy to others. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's the context of this. So Jesus says, let me make this a little more difficult for you again. Following chapter, Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people, and this is to his followers, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Come on, that's wonderful. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you yours. Okay, it matters. Mercy is not easy. And often it runs against our sense of justice. It runs against our sense of righteous anger. And there is a thing called righteous anger. But God calls all of his followers to be deliverers of mercy into this world which is desperate for it. We don't know how much we need it. Then it says, blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. So if you're going to be pure, he's going to have to refine you like gold. And that's modern re refining of gold is acid. It can mean a great deal of heat. It can mean a lot of pressure. But wow, happy are you after that's done and you are purified because only the pure in heart will see God. And God's call on our lives is to know you more and more and more and that you know him more and more and more. That's, his, that's, his, that's what you're made for. That's who we are. People designed to be known by God and to know God. All of humanity is. It's our call to help them to do that. But for that, we need to be made holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. This is Peter going, let me make this a little more difficult for you. Just as he who called you is holy, we no doubt about that, right? So you be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Genesis 17, 1, the most wonderful passage. Walk before me, God says to Abraham, and be blameless. 
And what that means, briefly, is that if we walk our lives out with God's always in front of us, with his face on us and our face on him, with his smile towards us and our smile towards him, with our hearts open to him in honesty and transparency, in that process, he makes us to be without blame. It's not a condition for walking with God. It's what happens when you walk with God. In the process of walking in his presence, pursuing him, hungering and thirsting for more of him, he makes you pure. He refines you. He sorts out your life. He sorts out your habits. So more and more and more of him can come into your life and you can know him more and more and more. Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's be clear. These are not peacekeepers. There is no peace. How can you say peace, peace, says Jeremiah? There is no peace. A peacekeeper goes in with warring parties who want to kill one another and anybody who gets in their way. You're called to be a peacemaker. Blessed. You're not going to be blessed by the warring parties, not to start with, but you're blessed by the presence of God who says, come on, Rory. You've got words of eternal life. These people need to hear it. You are blessed because my presence is with you and you are going to change this situation with your words of life. A peacemaker is someone who steps into a place of conflict and disarms warring parties. I tell you, a peacemaker needs to be armed. Whatever that means for us. We don't go in without our spiritual weapons. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Matthew 5.10. A couple of verses on persecution here. They're slightly different. Persecuted for righteousness' sake means when you stand up for the right thing and those who are doing the wrong thing hate you for it. Some years back, I was lecturing at a college (laughs) <laughs> and um, one of my co- lovely, lovely, lovely guys, great place. Uh, there was there was one, there were one or two slightly shady things going on there. You just kind of feel it in the air sometimes. And one of the guys came in, one of my colleagues, and said, "Could you just sign this? Put a form in front of me." I signed it. And then next day came back and gave me another. Oh, hang on a minute, what is this? What what am I signing here? And I read it through, and what I was signing was a piece of paper which um, re- requested or, or paid for a lecturer to come in and deliver a lecture who did not exist. What are we doing? And as I looked into it, what was happening was there was a slush fund operating, uh, which was providing all the equipment that we needed, which the college wasn't providing for the students. It was a good heart, but a terrible approach. And I said, stop. 
I can't do this. I think that's probably all I said. I, I, I can't sign this. It isn't true. And they had a real old go at me. I was persecuted for standing up for righteousness sake. But it was okay. It blew over and actually put a line in the sand and it stopped that kind of practice happening. Good heart, totally wrong approach. Sometimes we can't just go with the flow. We can't do that. And when you don't, Jesus doesn't say it's going to be comfortable. He says you'll be persecuted. But you will be wow happy because he's with you. And in the end, we have an audience of one. I just want to please him. Blow everybody else. I just, if I, you know, Lord, I just want to please you, Lord. I just want to please you. The second part of this is blessed to you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Matthew 5.11. Now I work with a persecuted church. There are more than 340 million Christians, one in eight around the world, who face high levels of persecution. I'm talking about violence for their faith. One in eight. Or discrimination, violence or discrimination. That's the 2021 World Watch list. That same list and those lists are good. They really do their work on these things. Found that in the previous year, the number of Christians killed for their faith had reached, had increased by 60%, 60%. Most of those in Africa a lot of those in Nigeria. This world is getting a harder place to be a believer. And the context for the persecution, briefly, are authoritarian governments. They can be communist, they can be post-communist like Eritrea or North Korea. Authoritarian governments who say it's all about the state, it's all about our power. You're worshipping a God we don't believe in. That God does not exist, therefore you must be an enemy of the state working for another nation. And that's the logic in places like China, Vietnam, Laos, North Korea, Eritrea, authoritarian states. Another one is Islamist states like Iran. Christians are regarded as enemies of the state in Iran, but let me tell you, you probably already know, God is pouring out revival in Iran. It's amazing. It's amazing how many Iranians are coming to Christ. And listen, a lot of them are here. The Iranians who've come, been scattered across the world to get away from the ayatollahs and the persecution are coming to Christ in their droves. There's real competition as to see which of these two nations, China or Iran, will become the most Christianized nation on earth the two worst oppressors of Christians. Blessed are you when they persecute you because my presence is poured out amongst you. My presence is with you in your suffering. My power is with you to work. People are desperate and you have the answer. The answer is Jesus. Islamist militants, that's another context. Buddhist militants, I know that seems like a contradiction in terms, but it isn't. And in India, 
a rise of nationalism which says that to be Indian is to be Hindu, nothing else will be tolerated. Persecution is rising around the world. So Jesus on the mount, knowing what will happen, talks to you and says, you're going to be persecuted for doing the right thing. You're going to be persecuted because people will regard you as being a Christian. You know, people are persecuted because others regard them as Christians, even if we wouldn't. But because others think you're a Christian, we'll persecute you. But what Jesus says is, hey, how happy are you that my presence is with you? Because remember, when you get to heaven, the very paving slabs that you precious people walk on are pure gold. I came back from one trip to Vietnam, it was, angry with what I'd seen of the Christians who were persecuted and angry with the Lord. And... I'm pacing up and down saying, what what do you expect? Lord, why do you allow this to happen? These lovely people. And I felt the Lord say something to me which was a real surprise. He said, Andrew, when you get to heaven, that's the first good bit, not if. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) When you get to heaven and you meet these people who've been persecuted for me, Do you think any one of them would say it wasn't worth it? (laughs) It's context. It's seeing the really big picture. Jesus saw the big picture. And right at the ministry, right at the beginning of his ministry with his disciples, he says, let me tell you what it's going to involve. It's going to be blooming difficult. But my presence will go with you and make you leap for joy. So why then lack of shoes? Yeah. You've all been very polite. Nobody's asked. <laughs> well, I work, uh, one of my clients is Release International, which works for the persecuted church. Today is called All Out for God. And what we're encouraging people to do is to take their shoes and socks off and go outside for a moment. Feel the hard ground beneath your feet. Yeah. Many of our brothers and sisters, you and me in a different place, walk a very hard path. And just feel that beneath your feet and pray for them for a moment. That act of identification which Jesus does always for us. Lazarus died and Jesus knew he was going to be raised, but he wept because they wept. Not because it was going to go wrong. He knew it was going to go right, but he saw their tears and he wept. And we're called to comfort those who mourn. We can't do that without weeping. You can't just grin, say grin and bear it. How are you doing today? To comfort those who mourn, we need to weep like Jesus wept. We need to get alongside people, care for them. That's sharing the fellowship of his sufferings so that Jesus can come into their sufferings. We can help them to do that. That's our amazing privilege, his compassion and his goodness in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Our calling is to bring heaven down to earth, to care, to engage, and to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else is added to us, including amazing joy, the amazing joy of his presence. Let's just pray.
Lord. Lord, you're amazing. Jesus, you take our breath away. We're so so familiar with these words, but your disciples, Lord, must have just... They must have just thought, what have we let ourselves in for? But they knew why they were there. And we know why we're here, Lord. We love you. You've got the words of eternal life. Your presence goes with us, Lord God. That's all we need. That's all we want. We're hungry and we're thirsty for more of you. And we just want to give you to others. Lord God, give us boldness. Give us creativity. Help us to be radical. Help us to do things, whatever we need to do, Lord. Lord, help us to comfort those who mourn. Lord, thank you for your comfort. Thank you that you're with us when we suffer. Thank you, Lord God. Just thank you so much, Lord. Lord, and we just we thank you that we're not just blessed. We are wow. Come on, Jesus. You are so good. You are so good. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.